hey, Meredith, look, I know we were both doing some recording for VOE, but you got to attend some of the sessions at Influence. What was it like? Oh, it was amazing. Great content, high energy, lots of attendees. Oh, I loved every minute of it. Well, listen, I don't mind being sequestered for VOE, and I'm jazzed about going to the studio today so we can record our first segment. So, uh, look, you know, this is going to be a fun day. It is going to be a fun day, but I don't think we're ever going to get there with you driving in the right-hand lane 20 miles an hour. you got to pick it up. What do you want me to do? Speed? Yes, Mr. Ethics, I want you to break the rules and speed. We got to go. David Newman is in the studio right now. He's not sure we can pull this off this year, and he is just going to keep on recording if we don't get there. Yep, he's in there right now, and we got to hurry up. I mean, go on the sidewalk. Let's go. Come on. I can't believe that little fella. All right, pedal to the metal. Here we go. Let's roll. And now, welcome to the award-winning program, Voices of Experience, with your hosts, Chuck Gallagher and Meredith Oliver. And now, here's Chuck. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with my co-host, Meredith Oliver. Welcome to Voices of Experience. And here's my first interview on September VOE with our president, Dan Thurman. Welcome to the award-winning program, Voices of Experience, with your hosts, Chuck Gallagher and Meredith Oliver. And now, here's Chuck. This is Chuck Gallagher with VOE, and wow, I am jazzed to be interviewing Dan Thurman, president. What's up, my brother? Oh, it is awesome. You know, I'm hearing the song, dun, dun, da, dun, 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 dun. Well, you know, we're just a couple days away from the big moment, but um, hey. I, I, I am so elated and poised and positioned for um, you know, for something exciting. And I'm confident because of all the resources we have at NSA and our tremendous staff, our passionate members, uh, and it's going to be a very exciting year. So Dan, you, you're in the unique position of moving through the ranks, uh, being poised to come in as president of NSA for 18-19, but also to have a big transition that you might not have anticipated when this was first coming about because we have a, a new chief executive officer for NSA. Yeah, yeah. So so tell us a little bit about the direction that uh, NSA members can expect and the, the exciting things that are coming down the pike. I would love to, but before I do, okay, I want to thank you. Thank you for stepping up. Thank you for serving. Thank you for all your tremendous work. I mean, we're early on in the VOE series, but you have already put in so many hours and I know what this means to you. I, I would just want to you know, ask you, since we're here on record, what, why did you say yes? And what does this assignment mean to you, Chuck? The answer is simple to me. If you're going to get involved in an organization, get involved. And the more you get involved, the deeper your understanding goes and the more your business grows. So when I got involved with NSA North Texas back in 2006, 2007, it was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to immerse myself in it. And so everywhere I've been, whether it's North Texas chapter, the Carolinas chapter, or at the national level, to the extent that someone says, can you do X, the answer should always be yes. Because if you have the capacity, if you have the skill set. If you have the capacity and the See, skill set, absolutely. And if you don't, give where you can grow you and know, what, you, what, you, what you can do. 
Exactly. And that philosophy is so abundant here in NSA. Oh, yeah. I wanted you to articulate it because that's exactly the reason why I got into service. So when you say this is catching us by, you know, something we didn't expect, um, I've been on the board now for six years and I've been in that, uh, that, that conversation about NSA and where we're headed. And so we've seen the development and the growth that's brought us to this moment, but you're absolutely right. We are poised with a new CEO in Mary Lou Peck with the new culture that she's developing internally, which is part of our Transform brand, in terms of uh, how our staff view their jobs and how their capabilities are growing to give us new opportunities than we've ever had before, which means that while we can engage members like you and I to do really important jobs, we have uh, an opportunity, we don't depend on them as much for the details. We can glean their greatest strengths without requiring them to execute as much as we have in the past. Sure. Now that's going to help us to truly educate and elevate and uh, and move into the future in a way that is is really profound. So Dan, a lot of people would say the speaking business has changed. Where do you see that going? Well, the the market has grown. The um, the, the number of different ways we can use the spoken word to engage audiences and to really affect worldwide change. I mean, let's face it, that's what we do. And NSA is about helping those who are passionate and have great wisdom or ideas or encouragement to share with others to, to do that even better and to do it more profitably. That's what it is. And so there's more ways to do that. The markets have grown, and so there are more opportunities. There's also more competition, and that gives us each a chance to sort of figure out where we fit in. And the keynote market is still alive and well. I mean, that's where I live. That's where uh, most of my business comes in through that channel. And that's what I've really worked very hard to hone over my 24 years in this industry and in this association. NSA has helped me do that. And NSA continues to help uh, uh, individuals every single day become masterful keynoters. But there's so much more, whether you're a, you want to train in depth in content, whether you work in a specific sector, or you're, you're an author looking to, to elevate your abilities to speak and to leverage those opportunities into deeper contracts and bigger bookings or better connections. And you know, I think what unites us all is that it's about uh, elevating our brand, elevating our lives and growing personally, but also to help others grow in a positive way. And that's so important, Chuck. I mean, because it's what our world really needs right now. Our world is, is hurting, and that's why NSA feels so comfortable for those of us who are in this alignment of improvement, because we find our family and we find the tools to help us make a change. We can really expand our brand and take the message in so many places. And I think that's one of the things that I'm seeing with NSA, that if you want to expand and you want to get bigger, there's a world to be within which to do that. It really is almost limitless. So if we were to presume as the NSA leaders to define what speaking is, you know, we, we could never do that because we can't anticipate what it will become, just like any other industry. We can lead and we can get down to the core essence and say, what is it about what we do that is so essential and so important to our members? Because that's our job is to serve our members and help them be successful. But the industry and the transformations that will happen five years from now, we cannot anticipate. Sure. And so what we need to do is be able to prepare 
and, and, and be uh, in an environment where we're having community conversations about what we see and what we're learning and what we share. What I've learned about NSA is being in the company of men and women who have skills that I do not, have perspective that I do not, have wisdom that I do not, you know, and they go into environments and use the spoken word in ways that I don't do yet. That enables me to sort of absorb some of that ability in my own character. And so when those opportunities present themselves, I can step into those moments with more confidence and with the knowledge that I can go and find those resources when I need them. From a marketing perspective, how does Dan Thurman market himself? Well, um, I, I do quite a bit, actually, um, and that has changed as well. It used to be that, that really all you had to do was to do great work, to focus on being at the highest possible level, and to, re, to leverage the, the, the power that you have on a platform into the next new opportunity. I will tell you, Chuck, that's still how I get most of my business. People who see me, who have heard me, who refer me, want to hire me again, um, because what I do is unique and valuable and relevant. And I work really hard to make my content resonate with my audiences, not just organizationally. You know, we, we work hard to understand what our clients' needs are and business objectives and help them move the needle. But my, uh, my intention is also to speak into the hearts of my audience and their minds and to, and to address their personal challenges. So it resonates in a different way. Now, Beyond that, which is essential, because if you don't have something of value that resonates with people, right. you know, you're, you're not going to get very far in this sure. business. So that is job one, is to, and job always, is to continue to work on getting better. Um, getting, and, and there's no limit to how good you can be. But now what we do is quite a, quite a lot more. I do uh, weekly videos. You've probably seen my, my weekly videos, which are uh, content-based, a depth of content. We, we do... Um, uh, we have a social media strategy. We were always working on website. Video is huge for me because what I do is is so intentional. It's not just about you know one demo video. It's about multiple different versions of different ideas or things that resonate. I even have like a like a behind the scenes video of how I prepare for an event. And this it, it's more like we've got, got into this realm where one video isn't enough anymore. You have to have this sort of portfolio for people to really go deeper because that's what we do, not in lengthy videos, but in shorter videos. Sure. Um, and so it's always changing, always evolving, but the, the investments you make in marketing today uh, really are realized often six months, a year, a couple of years in the future. So we always need to be thinking about how do we stay ahead of that curve. Uh, Dan, I, I want to ask a couple of other semi-unrelated questions. The other day I was talking with a, a couple of um, people in NSA who had been around for a good while, mm -hmm. and um, and one of whom elected not to renew his membership, and and the comment he made was he says you know it's just changed and and I don't know what's there for me, so as the president for eighteen nineteen what would you say to a person who has years of experience may even be in the hall of fame but says what for me now. Well, in two words, I would say keep watching because as we had the conversation about personal capacity and if we try to market in everything at once or try to run every aspect of our business or implement everything we know, we're not going to do anything especially well. You know, NSA has, has really uh, fallen into that line of thinking in certain ways or, or throughout the years. We have great intentions. We have 
amazing volunteers. We have uh, a desire to, to serve in a number of different ways. And we have, quite frankly, overwhelmed the capacity because you can't do it all. So we're in the process right now of really getting back to what we do best, which is helping, helping our members, the leading speakers in the world, to, uh, to do what they do at the highest levels professionally and, to, and profitably to be, be able to succeed and to grow while they're uplifting of others and serving the world, right? That's right. what we want to do. So when we focus on that, now the attention shifting to, well, what is the way we can change that member value equation in a way where it becomes just absolutely uh, an easy decision to join NSA? Because you know, it would be far more expensive not to be a member than it is to be a member. Right. And, and that's where we're going. We're going to be delivering so much value over the next couple of years that, that you're going to be more excited. And I think the, the best days of NSA are still to come. So, Dan, let me ask you one last thing. I'm going to put you on the spot. But um, with where we are, if there is a specific message that you would like to deliver, feel free to do that. I would say thank you. Uh, I, I would say thank you for being an NSA member. We need your support. We need your participation. We need you to be engaged. Look for opportunities as the model shifts and changes to help us implement our three-year strategy. We are transforming as a culture. We're transforming our staff, our leadership, our strategy, our vision on what we can become, and our perspective of what NSA can offer the world. Now that enables us to move to the next level, which is to educate, right? To educate our members about where we're going, to continue to provide education at even higher levels and experiences that we can attend and enjoy. We then want to engage at a much deeper level with the volunteers and the talents that our volunteers can deliver and provide better mechanisms for them to contribute in a way that syncs and coordinates and supports the, the whole mission. But also not just to engage our members, which frankly we're pretty darn good at, but to engage those in our speaking profession who are outside of NSA who need to know what a tremendous resource and value we offer. Sure. We really believe we can and will expand the, the reach of our organization, the brand of NSA, and the attendance to our events. And we think that shift is going to happen in a remarkable way by this time next year at Influence 2019 in Denver, Colorado. And when we can do all of that, we all elevate to the next level. Because being a part of NSA is now a brand of privilege and it is an opportunity for you to grow, and an opportunity for our association to elevate as well. So your role in that is to stay involved. Get involved in your chapters, to get involved with each other, to be a part of the community. And through your own personal contribution, embody that spirit of NSA, the spirit of Cavett Robert, our founder, that uh, helps others to feel the abundance that we share, and to tell your story, but also to tell NSA's story. Dan, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I so look forward to it. And thank you for the opportunity to serve. You got I appreciate it. it. Thank you, Chuck.
Influence is the premier event for professional speaking, and with four days of powerful ideas and hands-on experiences, we thought it would be a powerful addition to Voices of Experience to feature ideas from influence. Meredith drove this new initiative, and here's our first of many ideas from influence. Hi, Meredith Oliver here with another idea from influence. Gary, my good friend Dr. Gary McGrath is here. He speaks on leadership and he's gotten a great idea from Influence. Tell us. Well, my great idea actually comes from Scott with newsjacking and, you know, being an old guy, I don't use social media as much as I probably could. And the idea here is to watch the news during the day, see the next blunder of some politician, not mentioning any names, and let people know how that applies to leadership and start newsjacking that stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working on that. Well, maybe today. That's incredible. Really simple. Really something easy to use. That's the idea. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Meredith. And now here's Chuck with another interview for Voices of Experience. This is VOE. My name's Chuck Gallagher. My guest is Eddie Turner. And Eddie, you rocked it. Help us know some of those points that you think we need to be aware of as professional speakers? Well, Chuck, I think the first thing that we need to be aware of as professional speakers is stop leaving money on the table. Let's take all the money that's on the table and extend the experience for our clients. Oh, now I like your style. I already <laughs> like that. That is excellent. So the first way I talked about doing that was to do that by using the power of facilitation. And so we talked about the three areas that facilitation uh, is basically unfolding, right? We are used to having keynotes talking in one direction. Sure. But more and more meeting planners are asking one question. How interactive will this speech be? Okay. They ask the question. Yes, they do. Audiences are demanding it. That's so true. we talked about how uh, speakers can be more interactive, more facilitative in their approach as keynoters but then extending that experience by developing, offering workshops, both pre and post keynote to offer more value for the clients, but especially so many times a client has listened to the keynote and thought, wow, how great, and then they go back to work. Right, <laughs> right. It's like taking a shower and it's refreshing, but then you dry off. Right. Well, how do you reinvigorate that experience, that euphoria that they felt while listening to the keynote? Give that workshop. And so we talked about ways that uh, you can deliver those workshops either face-to-face -face or virtually because more and more people are asking for it virtual. Now, I had the great fortune that before I gave my talk, we had a panel of professional buyers out there telling everyone exactly what they're looking for when they're buying speakers. And they buy the top speakers. And so as they walk through their methodology, what they look for, it fit right into what I wanted to talk about for the keynoting uh, and doing workshops. Okay, so let's take these like bites at a time, mm -hmm. okay? What specific advice would you give me to say, hey Chuck, but make it more interactive? How? What I introduce is a method of us using technology because everyone's coming to the room with technology and that's what we are having to compete against. So how can we effectively use technology in an easy way? 
we demonstrated that live, real time, during the conference. Okay. So before I gave my speech, I actually conducted several posts for NSA, uh, thanks to Ben and Sylvie, uh, allowing me to do that, where we did, for example, the mystery speaker who was selected on Sunday. That was selected anonymously, and then the results were anonymous. We never showed everybody who that was. But over 41 people participated in terms of asking to be that speaker. Sure. And we had a gentleman today, Ian Altman, fantastic job, new to NSA. And this is his first conference, and he was the one who was selected oh my and goodness. did an outstanding job in front of his peers. Awesome. And he only found out 24 hours ago. So right. we used that anonymity in that case. But the other thing I introduced was if you want to be more collaborative, there's a tool. I introduced two tools. Number okay. one was Think Tank. Number two was one called Meeting Sphere. And those are able to be used uh, in those client situations I was talking about, the, the closed private workshops, but also in a facilitated session in a room of 300 people like we had. Oftentimes, especially when it's a controversial topic, you know, when I go in for strategy sessions with a client, and if the CEO is in the room, when the CEO is the problem, or people want to curry favor with the CEO, then they do one of two things. Either they don't give us candid information, sure, or they merely echo the what they think he wants. Sure, of course. <laughs> he or of course. she wants, right? So uh, using these two tools, I love the fact that we can ask those penetrating questions that we need to make the changes in the organization and properly set strategy, but we have an anonymity feature. So they have the comfort of knowing that not even I have access to who submitted what. And the sessions I've run with clients where we do that type of strategy, not only is it real time, because I like think, pair, share, it evaporates. Right but we have the actual, true, unfettered, candid responses from clients. And that is one of the things that provides one of the most value to them because they're getting the real answers, but also they're getting everyone's input. So, repeat the two that you were talking about. Think Tank. Think Tank. Tank.net. And what that one is, is an enterprise collaboration tool. So that's with beyond the scope of most speakers. Okay. But the top corporations, the top consulting firms are using Think Tank. Okay. But for speakers, we have the luxury of Think Tank changed hands a couple of times. And what they did, some of the folks who worked for Think Tank went and started a company called MeetingSphere. MeetingSphere.com. And that is one that all of us as speakers can use. It's an entrepreneurial version, I'd say. It's an entrepreneurial version because it's a price point we can afford. We don't need the enterprise level. But it has all the same features. Now, I have seen in a number of presentations lately mm -hmm. that there are or there is polling software or polling platforms. Help me understand a little bit about that because you know it's it's kind of cool when you go into one of these sessions and they say, okay, we well, have a choice of A, B, C, or D. You know, which do you choose? And instantly on the screen, you start to see the little levers moving, mm -hmm. and it gives you a gauge of what that audience actually thinks. Now that's different than what you were talking about with Meeting Sphere or Think Tank. Is correct. that correct? Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about that. So then I introduced, uh, after I left collaboration tools, I introduced audience response systems. And I talked about Slido. I talked about uh, Conference I.O. and Poll Everywhere. Those are very popular options. And I talked about the experience I'm having with, uh, I had with my Fortune 50 client. The Fortune 50 client, the CEO had been in town the month before I came. And uh, when I got them, sorry, on the day I was there, he, he had arrived. And the COO talked to me that afternoon and told me how he was the master of ceremonies and how impressed he was with the response of this major organization using Slido 
real time for the CEO's town hall meeting. What's the easiest or most effective polling system for me to use? What, what are you going to recommend? So we actually deliberately opened the conference with a polling tool. So that was the last category I showed. I showed polling options. If you didn't need collaboration tools, if you didn't need uh, audience response systems, what about basic polling? So we demonstrated umu.com throughout the conference. And that was one of the openings. Well, we're used to basic questions and pick one. And then I got a little creative. I said, well, who wore it best? And I, in their, in their question, everyone could see images of Ben, Sylvie, and the past co-chairs in their costumes, because we have theming. Right. And so it wasn't just a word question. It was actually showing it, and you can hear the audience oh, laughter wow. as they saw that question unfold. Right. So still using a polling tool, but isn't it nice to use something other than text for a polling option? And we also use that for raffles. I've done some uh, chapter events where we want to raffle off the latest book from one of the speakers. Sure. Well, everybody who is attending, they simply type in their name and uh, address in the polling tool, and it does like a Vegas slot machine. And the person oh, whose wow. name it lands on, here's the book. Oh, <laughs> wow, how cool. So the polling software has gotten to be very sophisticated and, more importantly, very creative, and because that is what we need to engage our audiences. You obviously are really connected in technology and understand the process of making this facilitation. Is it fair to say that if somebody has a deeper question, they can contact you? Absolutely. I work as a leadership expert these days. Yes. I spent 15 years in technology, so I'll always be a, a technology geek at heart. Right. But these days I'm focused more on coaching and facilitation. But the beauty is I get a chance to leverage the, my technology career as I offer these technological solutions to my clients. Right. So be it virtual coaching, be it virtual meetings. So it's a component of what I do. And I'm absolutely happy to help anyone. I've done a couple chapter programs. I've done some one-on-one -on -one sessions with individuals to help them drive their business and create the transformational effect that they want for their clients. Perfect. Eddie, thank you so much. Number one, it was a great presentation. Thank you. But in addition to that, thank you for being willing to share the expertise that you, that, that you have and that you know to help us um, take more money off of the table, so to speak. Although it's not always about the money, it's about the experience. The, if we're creating the experience, the money will follow. Absolutely. Eddie, thank you so much. Chuck, thank you. My co-hosts, Meredith Oliver and I, are excited to announce that in each VOE podcast, Meredith will feature a new segment called Magnetic Marketing. We're going to talk about trends in marketing and ways you can expand and grow your business. It's my honor to host this new segment of VOE, and my very first guest is none other than the incomparable Evan Carroll. And now, welcome to the award-winning program, Voices of Experience, with your hosts, Chuck Gallagher and Meredith Oliver. And here's Meredith. Hey there, NSA Nation. Meredith Oliver here, and I am here for another episode of Magnetic Marketing for Voices of Experience. And I have a real live double agent here with me today by the name of Evan Carroll. Thanks for having me, Meredith. And Glad to be here as a part of the Voices of Experience family. Right? So the reason I say Evan is a double agent is because he is the perfect dynamic duo, the peanut butter and jelly 
of meeting planner and professional speaker. So Evan's gonna give us some insights on that as it relates to marketing yourself and getting yourself out there and thinking about what does a meeting planner really want out of a speaker? So the first thing I'll say is that like the cobbler's children, yes, my children have no shoes. Now, th oh. thankfully I have no real children, which right. is good. But <laughs> it's easy to know things from a meeting planner perspective. Right. It's much more difficult when I put my speaker hat on right. to take my own medicine. Of course, I completely agree. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, right. we've okay. given that caveat. I like that. Disclaimers issued. Right. Let's move on. Okay. For me, yes. it's all about what experience will a speaker bring to the event. Oh, I love that. Okay. Because as, a, as an event planner, I'm not thinking about, oh, what content are they going to bring or what business problem are they going to solve? That's the corporate side of things. When, I, when you're putting on a conference yes. that is for people from multiple companies, yes. my thought is how can I make sure that the people I bring in will add to the experience? Yes. And what will they do to help me get butts in seats. Yeah. I actually call it this quick, butts in seats quick. Oh, I love that. What can I do <laughs> to get more this quick okay. from those speakers? Are they going to engage? Are they going to show up for the entire event? Are they going to uh, help you promote like like you do for, for your you. events, Meredith? Yes. With, with, with videos, videos and, and uh, tweets social media and... posts and, and all of those things. Yeah. So I'm thinking about how do they enhance the experience? Yeah. And how do they help me put on a better event? And I have to tell you, NSA Nation, that he puts on an amazing event. Uh, we've been very lucky to be able to film Voices of Experience here at the High Five Conference in Raleigh and tap into some new faces to bring to you, the audience. And we've been able to do that because Evan, as the conference director, has been able to make that happen. You let me use this beautiful set and set all of this up. So we owe you a debt of gratitude for these interviews but we also want to recognize that you've put on a three-day conference with multiple tracks, multiple keynotes. I know I've been the MC backstage trying to keep it all together back there. And it's an amazing event. It's in its fifth year, mm -hmm. right? It is. And so for you, you really do know and walk the talk of meeting planner and speaker. Right. And so how does a speaker take those moments in a conference setting or in a meeting and add that value to the experience that you're looking for. Right. So the, the first tip I will give is that the meeting planner is not the enemy. The meeting planner is not clueless. Yes. Now, it, is, it is possible that the meeting planner may not have the same vision that you have or their perspective True. on the investments they're making for their event or the AV set for their event True. may be different from yours, but don't be a pain. Right. Don't push, push, push. I'm what not supposed you to be a diva, must, yes, Evan. What you must have. No, you're not <laughs> supposed to be a diva, and you're certainly not a diva. <laughs> Thank you. But there are ways to engage in those conversations as opposed to, these are my requirements, I need this. And, oh, why don't you have them? You must have them. Now, let's have a conversation. Yes. Because my, my, my favorite, this is my favorite, is okay. I must have my laptop on stage. I need this, I need this, I need that. Now, guess what? I have one of these documents too, yes. and I use it to share with people I speak with. Yes. And mine is written in a very specific way. Yes, it is. That says, I'm not trying to be a pain. I'm just making suggestions here. If you can't do it, let's talk. I'm not trying to be, you know, forceful about it. Right. But the reason I do that 
is to open the conversation. Have a conversation. Exactly. And so I'm not saying that it's impossible to have one's laptop on the stage at one of my events. We've actually had a lot of that here. You have, I noted. But the better question might be, and I yeah. don't mean to make this example a, a big deal. It's just yeah. an example. Right. However, the, the idea here is that instead of saying this is the way it must be, I think the question is, tell me about your stage set. Yes. Tell me about the vision, your vision for my session. Yes. Tell me about what you would like the experience to be. Yes. And then start to marry that with your perspective mm -hmm. for what you need to make your session successful. Yeah. So the tip there is don't be a pain, have a conversation instead of demands. And what I'm hoping that you're learning from this as we're talking is that your interactions with the meeting planner are your marketing. In the world of marketing, as marketing, you're a technology speaker, mm -hmm. I'm a marketing speaker. The hottest thing in this world that we live in is talking about customer experiences is the mm -hmm. new marketing, right? I yes. mean, we've been hearing it, hearing it, hearing it. And I want you guys to know that your marketing is not just a list of tactics that you're constantly doing. It's also the experience you're delivering. And one of those experiences is to the meeting planner. Because I'm sure you guys never talk to each other ever in, about in fact, how it goes with other speakers. In fact, we always talk to oh, each other. Oh, I'm so shocked. Always. And <laughs> there, are, there are speakers, some I consider to be my NSA friends. Yes. Who I really don't want to bring back because for one yeah. reason or another they weren't easy to work with or they were last minute with things you know like hey uh, can you send this email to all of your attendees uh -huh. or you know those surprises even come from stage saying hey I'm gonna email all of you something in a month yeah well, these things become yeah it's an extra burden so yeah we want to have those conversations up front my thought is that as a speaker what our job is and you know Lois Kramer will tell us that we're purveyors of intellectual property. Yes. I would add the Evan Carroll corollary. Okay. And, and Lois may kill me later, but I'm adding yeah. the Evan Carroll <laughs> corollary. But always be sure yes. to add value. Yes. We are streaming our yes. keynotes. Yeah. And we've had times where speakers have said, no, you can't stream my material. Uh, and streaming them live on Facebook, just to. Yes. Uh... And there's a perspective here. Right. Because some, some speakers will say, oh, you, you can't send out a copy of my slides, you can't send out a copy of the video. That's my intellectual property, mm -hmm. and I'm going to protect that. And nothing I'm saying here disagrees with that. I get it. However, I believe that today, content is really free. It is free. And um, if I want to hear a talk from Spike Jones, yep. who is here at this conference, I can go online and I can listen to a talk by Spike Jones. It's called YouTube. It's called YouTube. <laughs> However, what I'm buying is the experience of bringing Spike to the event. Oh, I love and this. And Spike's audience, yes. who's becoming a part of the yes. event. So that goes back to how you then market yeah. to your audience, your followers. Hey, I'm going to be at this event. I'm so excited about being at this event. You really should come to this event. All of those things. And what I would add to this is that as you're as as you start thinking mm -hmm. in that audience mindset, yeah, realize that the meeting planner is also giving their audience to you. Your best marketing is the experience you provide for your client, whether it's a corporate client, a meeting planner at a conference, whatever it is, that marketing can be your best marketing. So that concludes another segment for Voices of Experience Magnetic Marketing. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Meredith. You're Thanks so for being here. here at the conference. I can't believe you took time to do this and to let me use your set. 
um, to get these segments, but I know all of our NSA friends will be better for it. So thank you. Thank you. Love you. Okay. Bye guys. And now it's time for Money Matters here with Joel Block on Voices of Experience. Why is it that some people make an awful lot more money than other people? Are they that much better? Are they that much smarter? Or maybe is it that they know a trick that you don't know? Well, let's take a look at a couple of tricks. First, why is it that some people jump over $100 bills in a race to pick up nickels? You ever notice that? I notice that. People are looking to the left when the money's really on the right. To me, it's all backwards, it's all out of control. Let me give you an example of something I notice speakers do all the time. I'm gonna go give a keynote and I'm gonna collect some number of dollars. There are other speakers that'll say, I don't want a keynote fee, I'll take the deal for free, but I want an opportunity to sell to that audience. Sometimes selling to the audience is more powerful, more profitable, and is better, it just depends on your circumstances. Sometimes there's a hybrid model that works and you can do both. So don't be real quick to judge which way is the right way to go. Each situation is different, but be very careful to think that sometimes there might be other ways to skin the cat. And if there are, make sure that you're focusing on those, that you're doing those, because if the money's on the left, absolutely don't look right or vice versa. Meredith worked hard at Influence 18, and here are some more ideas from Influence. Hi, Meredith Oliver here with another idea from Influence. I've got Brita Miller here, who's graciously agreed to share one of her big aha moments so far. Thank you so much, Meredith. Um, I attended the, the leadership program for new chapter leaders, and it was brilliant. I'm the incoming president to the Michigan chapter, and Lou Heckler, of course, was just, he gave us ideas to inspire us to really talk about really the essence of what we do and why we do it. That it's all about really offering people a reason to come to our seminars or our events, if you will. And to, to make sure that we are really reaching out, that we're having, providing a quality experience, a real value, and to of course make people feel connected and wanted and really part of the NSA family. After that, we had Mark Sanborn. I mean, it was just an all-star way to begin the, be, begin the conference for us. And then as a leader, it was truly inspiring. Oh, well, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Meredith. Hi, this is Meredith Oliver with my co-host, Chuck Gallagher. And welcome back to Voices of Experience. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and now I've got to say, this is my good friend, Valda Ford. Valda and I go back to the Carolinas chapters, which is one of the most wonderful chapters in NSA. Um, and <laughs> I have to say, Valda, that I guess it was an interesting introduction whenever we first met, because here we are carrying on a conversation, and, and of course, what is the normal question people ask? What do you speak about? Absolutely. And you said? Sex. I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Somebody that talks about sex at NSA, there's got to be something for somebody. Absolutely. And you took it further, however. It was sex is not for sissies. Yes. 
Okay, so I know at this point in time, as a member of the board of NSA, you, you have probably the most unique topic of anybody that I've heard. Seems to be. Yeah, probably. So tell us a little bit, just for the sheer joy of it, a little bit about Sex is Not for Sissies. Where did that come from? That came from a talk I used to give called Living, Laughing, and Loving. And when I would concentrate on that you should have love in your life, a woman came up to me and talked about being 74 years old, having a new beau in her life, and she was concerned because the things that he asked her about, she wondered if they were illegal, immoral, or unethical. <laughs> <laughs> and as I asked her more, I found that it was all pretty vanilla, but because of her generation, because of what she'd been taught, because she'd been married to the same man for 50 years before he died, she didn't know anything at all about sex. She really probably had never had much pleasure in sex, but even more importantly, she was very vulnerable to becoming infected with HIV or chlamydia or all of those things. Along with that, I had been asked by a county health department to help them have the conversations to get people to think differently about sex education in the schools. So those two things came together because to me, a sissy is a person who is afraid and that just stuck. So sex is not for sissies means that you cannot be afraid if you're going to have safe sex safely and have satisfaction. Valda, your background is? I'm a registered nurse. I have two graduate degrees in education and public health. How many followers do you have on Facebook or in social media? On my Sex is Not for Sissies Facebook page, I have approximately 500,000, a little over 500,000 followers on that one page. Okay, I, I'm, I'm mind boggled by that. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm mind boggled by that. Okay, so two, two parts to this. Okay. I think this would be really helpful for, you know, for folks that are you know, in, in the speaking business and thinking, wow, there can be different models first. Most of the time, now if I'm off on this, just correct me, okay? Sure. Your Sex is Not for Sissies programs are self-promoted. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so A, you're literally creating the audience. Yes. So how do you do that? Fortunately and unfortunately, I had a really bad car accident and I was working on getting my memory back. I wanted to focus on something that was really something I knew, which was healthcare and sex education. And I knew I would not give bad information. I had to think about it. So while I was sitting there thinking about how will I do this, I only had 800 followers. I went to a publicity summit in the meantime and they said, we're not interested in you. You don't have a tribe. 800 people will not make a difference if you're on our radio show or you write in our magazine or come on our television show. You need to have at least 20,000 followers. So that was my goal, to get 20,000 followers. I took the time to sit down and start to post every day. Nothing was happening. I thought, what else do I need to do? So I started to talk to them the way I would talk to people in a workshop. If they would come back with a question like, well, why is it that there was just a time that I took this woman out to dinner and I wined and dined her, she had a good time, but when we got back home, she didn't want to have sex. And I would say, well, if you just wanted to have sex, why didn't you pay a prostitute? <laughs> if it was just a transaction that you wanted and sex at the end, why go through all that? Just take the money and give it to someone who's going to definitely give you sex instead of having a crapshoot of this is what is what. And I said, well, why do you think that's okay? 
that's just a transaction. You're disrespecting her by expecting her to give you something she doesn't want to give you at the end of this transaction. That struck a nerve with people. And they would say, well, that's right, I believe that. What I had to do was find what was interesting to people to talk about and talk to them like real people, not like my clients, not like potential buyers, but just to have the auntie conversation. And when I've worked with people on their social media, I've gotten them to talk like they would talk to people in a workshop or a retreat, have real questions, be very responsive, and be consistent because consistency is what is needed. And that's easy to do as a speaker. You can pre-program, you can pre-schedule when your posts are going to come. So if you're on a plane flying to Dubuque and you have three connections, you can sit there and just post things that you want to. I make sure that at a certain time of day I'm on there because they expect me to be on there. Then I started doing Facebook Live. I started putting videos on there and I would have miniature contests for the best answer to this question, I will give you a free download. To the best answer, I might give you a free entry into an event. And it just took off and they started to share. When I got to a thousand, the algorithm changed with Facebook. We know that changes every day now, so I, don't, I can't tell you the best formula. But when I got to a thousand, it changed and more people were getting on there. I started to do some ads. Then I got up to 20,000. From June to September, I went from 800 to 20,000. And by the end of a year, I was at 200,000. But when you're starting to get a following, the best thing that you can do is respond to every person. Just click like. You don't have to do anything else. The other thing is that I learned if I ask them to follow me or to share, they do. It's an amazing story. And I know that there are gonna be people that'll say, yeah, well, I don't have the time for that. For me, I wanted to have the numbers, but I didn't think that I had the time. And actually I found it doesn't take as much time. I mean, there aren't that many people who are doing the kind of thing that I'm doing with healthcare where every answer has another five or six sub-levels. You are a board member with NSA. Yes. If there was one thing that you would say to someone initially, I wanna take my career to the next level, what would that be? Too many people are afraid, they're looking for safe, they're looking for same. We heard the other day, same is lame, we don't need that anymore. So what is it that you do that's different, that's bold, that's amazing, and start at a small level. You don't have to have $50,000 to put on a major event. Put on something in your community center that's great and then people will be your marketing force for you. Make it exciting, make it interesting, and make sure that you're giving the people what they want, not just what you want to deliver. Valda, the one thing I will absolutely say, and everybody that knows you will say the same thing, you are anything but boring. <laughs> well, thank you. You rock. Thank you so much for thank being you, our Chef. guest here on VOE. It's, it's a pleasure. pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This is Meredith Oliver, and here's another outstanding interview with my co-host, Chuck Gallagher. Chris Clark Epstein speaks about change and is featured in a wonderful article in Speaker Magazine in the September issue. So as we begin my interview with Chris, I highly encourage you to read Chris's article and check out the link to a more comprehensive article that she has generously made available to you. 
Chris is facing changes herself. And in this profoundly touching interview, Chris is open, honest, transparent, and inspiring. So with no further intro needed, here's my interview with Chris Clark Epstein. Chris Clark Epstein is my guest on VOE. It is an honor to have you here. It is an honor to be here. So you would not remember this, or at least would not remember me, and that's absolutely okay. Okay, you want to know, can we tell it? Can we tell a secret? Okay, sure. Because people say that to you all the time, and it's kind of hard to know what to say right. to respond to that. Here, let's play it. Okay. Just come up to me and tell me that you were in my audience. Chris, I was in your audience as NSA North Texas. Were, were you sitting on the left-hand side? I, I don't remember. Well, I kind of think you were sitting on the left-hand side. Here's the trick. I got a 50-50 chance of being right. And chances are you won't remember either, but it's a it's a great way to respond oh, to that, that kind of a, approach. You know, I should have known from you that there would be something like that. Secrets, we're telling secrets here. Secrets are okay. I think so too, secrets as long okay. as nobody tells anybody yeah, else. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, so Chris, let me ask you a question. So mm -hmm. let's assume for a moment that someone's at an NSA conference, whatever mm -hmm. conference mm -hmm. it may be, winter conference, CSB summit, mm -hmm. whatever it happens mm -hmm. to be, and they come up to you and they say, oh my goodness, what can you tell me that's really going to help me advance my career? What advice would you give them in the hallway? I, I'm known for asking good questions. So my response to that would be, tell me where you are on your journey, because if you're just starting out, my advice would be different than if you've been doing it for a number of years, and my advice would be different if you have been doing it for lots of years. So, so I need to know that. So let, let's play that particular game out. If you're brand new, speak as often as you can. I don't know how you get good at this business of communicating with a group of people other than to communicate with a group of people. Now, at the beginning, you're doing it without concern over remuneration because, just like my mother said, if you're not providing any value, you're gonna have to give the, the money back. Nito does not like it when I say that, giving the money back. Uh, <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was a metaphor, not necessarily a, a, an actual <laughs> instruction. But, but the more opportunities you have to speak, the more you get to work on how your material lands, things like timing, where your natural humor works, um, how you're resonating with an audience, because the audience will give you feedback immediately. So speak as often as possible in, in the beginning. If you're um, a little bit further on, then I would suggest start writing. Uh, if I have one regret in, in my business life, it's that I didn't start my writing career sooner than I did. Okay. Writing and speaking are parallel crafts, okay. but they are not identical crafts. Being a good speaker does not make you a good writer. Being a good writer doesn't make you a good speaker. Sure. Perfect example, Judith Viorst, who's a wonderful, mostly a children's author, um, and I have followed her career, I got to hear her in person, uh -huh. and she, she writes poetry 
a lot of her children's books are in rhyme, and she writes poems for adults. So her introducer had a poem that Judith Bjors had written, and so the introducer read this poem, it was incredible, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get to hear her speak, it's wonderful. She got up to speak, she was terrible, <laughs> because she was a writer, the introduction right. was better than she was. Now, <laughs> it wasn't that she couldn't have been a great speaker, she just didn't invest in it. Right. So. I, there's a point at which that I think you need to start developing a parallel craft. So I, I've gotten good at, at my platform skills. I'm, you know, continuing to improve that, but I've got a great foundation. Now I need to explore the writing piece of it because the writing piece of it is much more tangible and will last beyond words that you deliver on, on a platform. Sure. And oh my goodness, you cannot record a speech and have somebody transcribe it and say, now I've got a written piece because they're not, they're not the same thing. Right. So mid, mid, midpoint, I, I would really focus on the writing stuff. A little bit further along, I would um, focus on the, what, what's going on in the world of speaking and presenting and in the world, in the life of my clients, especially if you have a targeted industry, industry that's new and different. That that I'm I'm not um, I'm I'm not as conversant in in that part of what's happening in their world and focus on getting yourself grounded in that new stuff because as they face new challenges you need to have new um, solutions to problems so I'd really go into that customer world focus. Chris, one of the things that I recall from the meeting at NSA North Texas mm -hmm. was your commitment to learning. Yes. Um, is that DNA or is that something that over some course of your life th there was something that clicked that said, ooh. Uh, uh, you know, we, we are so often the product of the environment that we were raised in. Um, and, and as a child, and as, even as an adult, and you look back at your childhood, you start realizing that things that your parents did or didn't do probably were, were mo was motivated by something that you had no idea of. We had a dining room table that had a glass top. Okay. And underneath the glass top was a map of the United States. Huh. Okay. And my dad traveled, and the United States was okay. his territory. And so many times we would sit down to eat, and dad wasn't there. And so we would have discussions about the map, and where was dad, and how had he gotten there from where we were. And, and then what did we know about the place that dad was? And then when he came home, he would tell us what he saw, because he mostly drove around. And I, I so, so curiosity and learning was inbred at the dining room table. Sure. As I got older, I asked my mother, I said, whatever prompted you to put that map there? She said, it was a terrible table. She said, I was embarrassed to have anybody see how bad the surface of that table was. So the only thing that I could think of to do was to, I found a piece of glass that fit it. And then she said, I thought, if I put a map down, oh. it'll, it'll be, you know, it'll be covered up. And then I can just say, we use it for education of the children. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. And, wow. And we were also a family of storytellers. And of course, the map then prompted the stories that if we had traveled to a place, remember that vacation, dad would have a story when he came home. So, so the notion of being curious and learning 
and for the younger people who watch our stuff, in pre-Google world, you know, if we couldn't think of anything, we were sent to the encyclopedia. Oh, <laughs> you know, we had, oh, we had to go, we had to go look them. So my desire, my need, if you will, to learn things ha has been a passion of my whole life. And when I started doing this work, I really got fascinated by how do adults learn? Most of us parent the way we were parented. Okay. My, my, my grandchildren will tell you that when I pick them up at school, the first thing I say to them when they get in the car is, what did you learn in school today? Right. And then they say nothing <laughs> because right. that's, that's what kids do. And then I'll say, excuse me, who do you think you're in the car with? Because that would not be an acceptable yeah, answer. Right and so, so now they get in the car and before they close the door, I know what I'm going to tell you about what I've learned because it's become this, this habit. So um, I thought we, we mostly parent the way we were parented, which is fortunate if you had good parents, then there's a good probability you'll become a good parent. We do the same thing with teaching. We teach the way we were taught. And so I thought, I wonder if adults learn differently than children, because most of the model that I had of what learning was all about was through my school, dear. Sure. So I became a student of adult learning. And I have integrated that into all of the work that I do. Now, over the years, I've done a lot of training, but I'm primarily a, a keynote speaker. And the same things that I do as techniques in a training session to transfer the information into action, I do in my keynotes because I know that's how adults will learn. Chris, um, I want to ask you a challenging question. Perhaps. Okay. All right. You're featured in uh, Speaker Magazine. Yes. And I know um, sometime back you were diagnosed with terminal cancer. Yes. And since we're talking about learning, mm -hmm. from that diagnosis, what have you learned? Um, I, I have learned that... Um, being a professional speaker, which most people in the world translate into, oh, you're a motivational speaker. Right. And on some level, all of us are motivating people. And being surrounded by motivational people, my NSA community has rallied to me when the word of my diagnosis was, came out. Um, unbelievable. And what I heard all the time was people saying, you're so positive and we're praying for you, and, and you're gonna beat this. I know you're gonna beat this. And at the very beginning, I wanted to hear that more than anybody in the whole wide world. But you know what? There are some diagnoses that you can't beat. Um, I happen to have one of those. I live a life where there's a shoe out there, and it's gonna drop. And it's not if it's gonna drop, it's when it's gonna drop. And so that has created a whole different way for me to, to look at life and look at every day. And the hardest thing is to talk to my friends who just want to hear good news. Currently, I have good news. I, I am what's called NED in cancer speak, which is no evidence of disease. And, and so I'm on hiatus of chemo and you know my hair is growing back and 
but when the shoe drops and I go back on chemo 12 days later, I'll be bald again. But I've come to love being bald, and, and you know, which is tricky when you live in northern Wisconsin because it gets kind of oh, cold, in the, cold in the wintertime. So all my male friends who are shaving their head, I, I hope you have somebody who loves you who will knit you hats for, for the wintertime. But, but I, um, I was, you know how you're doing something and you're listening to the TV with sort of half an ear? Sure. And, and that happened to me, and I heard this sentence, and the good thing is there's the rewind button on the, sure. uh, the DVR, and, and what I heard was somebody saying, it's a condition to be managed, not a problem to be solved. So I rewound it, and this was a retired general, four-star general Michael Hayden of the United States Air Force who was being interviewed and that it was his quote and I thought that's the description of my life. Mm -hmm. we, we as speakers all want to identify problems and we want to help people solve them and that's lovely and that is a commitment of our work and God bless us that we're out there doing that kind of stuff because that's the hope and the promise that people in our audiences need to hear. But every once in a while, you're going to get faced with something that is not a problem to be solved, but it is a condition to be managed. And so I have come to understand that I have a condition to be managed, and that means that every day I have to figure out what it is that I need to do in order to manage my condition today. And, and it is not going to be a problem that I solve. It will ultimately solve because my ticket will get punched. But the trick is that's going on for everybody. It's just you don't know it. Right. There could be a bus out there with your name on it. You know, I, and I, I'm at the point now where I can be fairly flipped about this because I've had a year and a half to, you know, to manage uh, my own personal expectations. We all need to do that. We all need to think about these things. We need to prepare ourselves and we need to prepare our families. And I know that in the additional information, I've written a much longer article that has some suggestions of, of what you um, can do individually and as a family to prepare yourself for the issue that one day we're all going to face, which is the, the saying goodbye to somebody that we love very dearly. Chris. For those people that are listening on VOE mm -hmm. or perhaps watching on the YouTube channel, mm -hmm. um, thank you for your candor. And I would encourage you to go to Speaker Magazine so that you can read the short article that Chris wrote and the longer link to the article Perfect. that goes even further. Um, Chris, one more question. Mm -hmm. and probably people who are listening to this are like, Chuck, man, it's kind of ballsy. <laughs> but what would you like people to think of you as? What, what would you like your legacy to be? Um, I have uh, used many metaphors over the, you know, 30 years. You get lots of choices for metaphor. But the one that I keep coming back to, which is slightly ironic because in our family, my mother was a master gardener, and evidently the agricultural competence gene skips a generation <laughs> because I just have empty pots that have dead plants in them. In fact, the local florist in our town, when people call and they want to send me a plant, the local florist will refuses to do it. They just say, cut flowers, we'll take her, but plants she kills. So oh. we, we will not be oh, a party funny. to this. So, but, but the issue is the metaphor that I use is that I am a seed planter. 
I am not a gardener, but I'm a seed planter. My job when I work with clients is to figure out what are the soil conditions, what are the, the weather conditions, what is it that this particular group needs, and I bring what I believe are the right seeds that can flourish in that environment, and I plant them and I plant them very, very well. And that's my job, and I hope that that's my legacy, that people say, you know, I heard you speak one time, and you said this. It was just what I needed to hear, and here's how I used it. I, I will rest quietly wherever I end up if that's what people say about me. Hey, as we end this edition of Voices of Experience for the month of September, I would like to give a big shout out to David Newman. David, you rocked VOE this past year and created some big shoes to fill. Thank you for your commitment to excellence and your help to us as we co-host this year. So on behalf of Meredith and I, thank you. And to all listening via podcast, if you have suggestions for guests this year or next, feel free to email me at chuck at chuckgallagher.com. It's our honor to be your co-host, and we have some amazing guests lined up for October that you will not want to miss. David Avron, Liz Weber, Diana Boer, and June Hahn, just to name a few, so you won't want to miss it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.